0: Promotional consideration for Growing Greater Philadelphia provided by Citizens Bank and the General Building Contractors Association.
1: This is Growing Greater Philadelphia, bringing you the stories of economic growth, job creation, and business success from across the 11-county community of Northern Delaware, Southern New Jersey, and Southeastern Pennsylvania. Now, here's Matt Gabry. Hey everybody, welcome into the next edition of Growing Greater Philadelphia. Hey, joining me today in the studio is WPHT and business radio host, Dan Loney. Dan, it's great to see you. Matt, as always, great to spend a little time with you talking about business. You know, Dan, people, how we connect with people, that is really key to success that we have in our lives. And this episode that we're going to be talking about, we really wanted to explore people and how they've tapped into that human condition, their interactions with each other, and with the customers and their partners and the vendors that they have uh, every day. And it can begin for many people by bridging that gap from what you learn in school, whether that be
0: high school, college, some sort of trade school, to actually knowing how to work with
1: others. Yeah, and you know, it's that spirit of relationship building and, and how people feel when they have an encounter with other people whether it's in a coffee shop or in the workplace or some other sort of social setting that really is at the heart of a colleague here in Greater Philadelphia, his name is Nick Bear. We may know him as the founder and CEO of Saxby's, and most of us may know Saxby's because of their coffee, but as we're going to get into a little bit later, there is so much more to Saxby's than just coffee. And Nick
0: is going to explain how essential interpersonal relationships are to him and to his company
2: yeah you know I, I really wish I would have known back in the day that the value of people and culture and environment and the sense of belonging the way that I do today because um, you know that's a really hard thing to teach in the classroom. you know I learned a lot of amazing things in the classroom at Cornell, just like students are learning here at CCP and Penn and Temple and Drexel but it, it's really hard to impress upon a, a young person certainly eighteen to twenty two or even younger the the real importance of the people side of things and I didn't really realize that until I was even you know, out of consulting and e- really deep into building Saxby's that your competitive advantage as a, as a business person or as an actual business can and should be people. I had to make the mistake when I first started Saxby's to think that our only focus needed to be great product. You competed on great product. And if you wanted to have great culture, you would use the profits of selling this great product to then invest in culture. I had it completely backwards. Mm-hmm. I needed to create a great culture that, that was inclusive and attracted talent. And then I truly believe you can sell anything. If you've got an organization that has a, a culture that people want to be a part of and it attracts talent, then you can sell anything. So we literally rebuilt Saxby's five years into its operation. We had had some success, but not the level of success. And we weren't the people company. We weren't the social impact company. We weren't the philanthropy company that I wanted us to be because we didn't have that defined culture. And it was right in front of my face. I think about it when I was a kid, as, a, as an athlete, the teams that did best, it was when the, the guys in the team were most cohesive. They were quick, like a guy falls down on their team and there's four guys fighting to get one of his two hands and lift them off the floor, like that's culture. And, and that was happening for me. But I completely overlooked that when I was first starting Saxby's. and unfortunately, i've I've realized now the importance of of culture and talent, and we invest everything in it.
1: Was there a moment that you had that caused that aha experience of we're missing this. It feels right. We're having some success, but something's just off. and and how did you recognize that?
2: Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't one specific thing, but it was a specific time period. So um, in, in about two thousand and twelve, my alma mater of Cornell, asked me to come back, they were creating an an entrepreneur in residence program in their hospitality, the hotel management school, which is the first of its kind. It's a world renowned hospitality program. So it teaches the people side of business you would think that based on my business, the fact that I went to Cornell, I'm a graduate of that program, but no, I have a government economics degree. So it was really nice when the hotel school asked me to come back as an entrepreneur in residence to speak openly and candidly about my successes and more importantly, my failures as an entrepreneur. And as I was going up there, a professor gave me you know two books. They gave me the book called The New Gold Standard, which is about Ritz-Carlton, their successes, and mm-hmm. Setting the Table, which is written by Danny Meyer, one of the most successful restaurateurs in the world, probably most famous for creating Shake Shack. And the central theme of those books was the same, which was was Ritz Carlton doesn't compete because they have the highest thread count bed sheets and Danny Meyer doesn't compete because he has everyone agrees the best, you know, stake in the world, right? They compete because they are cultures predicated on how they treat their people and their people in turn treat their guests or their customers. And I read those books and I'm like, that's, that's what I would want someone to write about my business one day. Like, that's what, that's what I dream of every single day. Like, that's what really sort of makes my heart race. And so I turned around. At that point, Saxby's had, you know, give or take 10 locations. We were exclusively franchised at the time. And I looked and lo and behold, the top five performers essentially lived by what I read in those books. You walked into those Saxby's, the team members seemed to love where they worked and they made the guests feel welcome and you know comfortable and happy. And I went to my bottom five performing locations and the team members didn't feel like they wanted to work there. Right. They didn't give the same treatment. I said, oh my God, what I read in these books was literally happening in my business. But more importantly, like that's the one skill and talent that I think I have is that I'm a people person. I wanted to build a business that was gonna be a culture-driven company where people would wanna talk to me about the culture that we created in our business. So it was at that time, And, you know, just at that time, a private equity group based here in Philadelphia invested in Saxby's and really challenged me to say, Nick, this is the time for you to build the business that you want to build. And that's when I knew I had to write our mission statement, write our core values, write out the business plan, really create the strategic plan that was going to grow this business. And it was not about we're going to create the milk and honey cold brew, which I think is the best cold brew product in the market. It was about. What's the level of talent? What do we see in this world? And let's go out and get that talent in this company, train them, empower them, and let them go be entrepreneurial and build this business. So it was really around that time that uh, sort of epiphany sort of set in for me.
1: This might sound like any Saxby's where you get your morning latte. But what sets this shop apart? Well, it's managed by a student or what Saxby's calls an S-CEO. Here's Julia the SCEO of Saxby's on Temple's main campus.
3: I get to live and breathe hospitality every day. And yes, I serve coffee, but I get to interact with my guests and my team members, which is what like hospitality is about. Like it's, it's about the guests and about the people.
1: Nick Baer explains how Saxby's got involved with encouraging the entrepreneurial spirit.
2: I truly believe that as human beings, it feels better to do something for someone else than it does to do something for yourself. So you can go and buy yourself a new pair of shoes and you can look down at your feet and be like, man, these things look awesome. They're going to look and feel less awesome tomorrow and even less so a month from now. If you do something nice and thoughtful for someone today, the memory and the feeling of that gets bigger and better over time. So I truly believe in one of our six core values is you serve yourself by serving others. So I believe that you can build businesses on that. And I, and I think that we're at the right time. We, we, you know, People like to call it double bottom line or triple bottom line or Bain private equity likes to call it double impact. We're at the time now where capitalism is, is starting to really change. I think that the next generation of consumers and talent, the millennials, the Gen Z, are forcing this change where – Business has to be a vehicle for good. You have to put impact, whether that's environmental impact, whether that's social impact, at the crosshairs of financial profitability. Not one financial profitability comes first, and then hopefully you do some good things in the world. They have to be mutually aligned, the whole idea of double impact. And again, that's that's what I set out to do. That's why I wanted to be a business person. I wanted the challenge of business, and I wanted to leverage the, the success of business to make major social impact in this world. So you can't help everybody always, so where was the where was the smartest option for us? It was in higher ed. Mm-hmm. you know higher ed was a great opportunity for us, one because our product and our mission of Saxs has always really resonated with young people. You know We design every cafe uniquely, you know our product menu is very sort of contemporary and new and cutting edge. We change it up a lot. But what I started to see in my time as an entrepreneur residence at Cornell and adject professor at Drexel and the classroom at Wharton and Temple, all these great universities we have here in Philadelphia was we were now teaching entrepreneurship in campuses. Like when I was in school, we didn't teach entrepreneurship in the classroom. Right Now we were, but we realized you can only teach so much about entrepreneurship in the classroom. You have to have what the pedagogy of higher ed calls experiential learning. Take what you're learning in the classroom and then learn more by actually doing it. Right. But that's where you need people outside of the walls of higher ed to partner with higher ed to do it. And so... We went to you know just a phenomenal leader here in Philadelphia, who you know very well, President John Fry at, at Drexel, sure. um, who's not just an innovator in the higher ed space, but he's the, the chair of our Chamber of Commerce and, and truly one of the greatest assets I think that this region has. And I went to John in 2014. I said, hey, John, I would really love to be able to leverage the support system that we've created at Saxby's, the culture and talent that we have to give you experiential learning at Drexel. So allow your students to design their own Saxby's but more importantly, run it exclusively for full credit, like literally partner this with what's happening in the classroom. And literally over 45 minute conversation, he goes, let's do it. And right. 10 months later, we opened you know the first of its kind, a cafe that's 1,800 square feet, operates with four national competitors around its front door. And the cafe is exclusively designed by students and is exclusively run by you know, anywhere between 35 to 40 students, operates 15 hours a day, seven days a week, 350 days a year, and is phenomenally successful it's young people running their own business and it's you know it's it's a cultural alignment for us and, and with John's encouragement what was once a, a cool test like can we do something like this has now turned into almost a dozen partnerships in the, in the last year with really marquee brands like Temple and Millersville and Penn State and LaSalle and st. Joe's I mean these are really marquee brands that we're partnering with because one, young people want and deserve and are ready for this opportunity. And as John likes to say, we've got to be able to provide return on investment for, for parents. You know, we, we're at a really critical point right now with with tuition, student debt. We've got to be able to provide real world usable skills for students to be able to learn while they're in school to go out and really compete and do, and do big things when they get out of the classroom.
0: Take a minute, grab a cup of coffee, and listen to our full interview, including Nick Bear's Bootstrap
1: Beginnings, by going online at 1210WPHD.com slash select. One of the best places to work in the greater Philadelphia region explains how they built their business around people as much as product. That's coming up next. With a workforce of just over 3 million people, Greater Philadelphia is the sixth largest region in the country for employment. Learn more about what's driving growth at companies large and small in the Greater Philadelphia region at selectgreaterphl.com.
0: Drexel University is a proud investor of the select Greater Philadelphia Council. Drexel University engages with students in universities around the world and is home to the Academy of Natural Sciences, the nation's oldest major natural science museum and research organization. Learn more about Drexel University at drexel.edu or call 215-895-2000. Development projects are revitalizing the future of Greater Philadelphia's neighborhoods, towns, and cities. And you can learn more when you join the Select Greater Philadelphia team at their annual program, Breaking Ground, Projects Transforming Greater Philadelphia. This dynamic gathering offers an exclusive look at projects across Delaware, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania that will flourish well after the ribbons have been cut. Join them Thursday, May 31st, 2018 from 8 to 10.30 a.m. at Rowan University in Glassboro. Register today at Select Greater P.
2: This segment of Growing Greater Philadelphia is brought to you by Comcast NBC Universal, a proud investor of Select Greater Philadelphia Council. Comcast is a global media and technology company that drives information to create the best entertainment and connectivity experiences. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com.
3: A building is much more than the foundation, the roof, and the walls. A building represents reliability. I'm Amy Novak with Torcon Inc. and we're proud members of the General Building Contractors Association. We build places of hope and opportunity hospitals for children, and universities for future leaders. GBCA represents the strongest, safest, and most reliable commercial contractors in the Philadelphia region. TORCON is the GBCA. We are the new standard of building excellence. Visit GBCA.com to learn more.
1: This is Growing Greater Philadelphia. From the city to the suburbs, stories about how our region is thriving
0: and transforming. The
1: friendly voice you're about to hear is Russ Stark, CEO of Think Company. Yeah, and you know, Dan, the Think Company is such a great story. They were founded and operate out of Montgomery County in Conshohocken. Yep. Over the years, they've seen such great success that they decided to open a new office in the city of Philadelphia to complement their suburban location. And that site is bursting. They attracted new talent, and they also got new clients, and they really are doing excellent work and continue to grow.
0: And you're going to hear from Russ right now as he describes exactly what... But his
3: company specializes in, which at times, feels like almost everything. At our core, we're a digital experience design company, so anything that has a screen, anything that has a digital interaction, which is now extending into you know, the screen on your refrigerator or things like that, You know any place that has a digital interface, we design those interfaces. And people sometimes jump to, well, do you do websites? And the answer is yes, we can and we do. But we tend to lean a little more towards, you know, we don't just put a fresh coat of paint on somebody's website. It's if if a website isn't doing something that people want it to do, if it's not achieving its purpose, and if it has, you know, a lot of interaction and transaction that needs to take place and people are confused by it, that's a think company problem. That's when you bring us in. It's when something isn't working properly. You want to get so far out in front of the competition that they're scratching their head for the next five years. That's think company. Gotcha. It's, we have a problem, and you're here to help come up with a solution. Yeah, yeah. And if you pull the lens out, it really tends to be more things like, you know, well, we really want to ramp up innovation in terms of how we service our customers. We want to give them the absolute best experience so that they never want to go somewhere else. That's really what people are hiring us for. And the digital uh, assets are are a part of that because in 2018, an optimal experience is going to be a mix of digital and analog. It just is. Um, So, Digital is when people tend to think of us first, but really it's optimal experiences across all of those things. And, and the digital is just one piece.
1: And, um, and I want to go back to those early days where, um, you know, it was Carl and Brian. That's right. And you joined shortly after yep. kind of the, the ink was drying, if you will, That's at least right. on the sign. That's right. Um, what was kind of the early thinking of this is what we want our company to be?
3: Yeah. So initially, it was the three of us. And we were in a windowless room up in a storage closet up at one of our clients in Horsham. And they, they gave us that space. And we were pretty much focused just on them for the better part of the you know the first few years of the company um, and we did kick around you know we were so happy first of all to be doing it ourselves doing it our way and the original thought was that it would be just kind of a lifestyle thing but it wasn't too long until we were about five six people that other people started asking for us and wanted us to to work for them and and we had to make the decision of are we gonna really make a run at this or or are we gonna keep it small and boutique And we thought we had something special then, and we think we have something special now, and we'd said, you know what, I mean, you know, we're still relatively young, and we've got something here, and we can do this as well as anybody else can. Why don't we give it a shot? So that was kind of when we pulled out the stops and and, and made a run at it, and then really said, It started to draw the vision for what we wanted to accomplish. And it has been pretty amazing. You know, in the early days when it still was three, four or five of us in that little room and we started telling people, this is what we want to do with this. It was like, you know, a pat on the shoulder. Oh, that sounds that's that's sweet, guys. Yeah, right. Um, But we have pulled it off. Uh, It's been an absolutely amazing ride. But that that is all really in debt to the folks that we've hired. I mean, because we're a services company. That's all we are is the people that make up Think Company. Those employees that Russ describes, well, they have a great space to work in every
1: day. The Think Company offices, they combine old world grandiose architecture like marble columns and arches with cutting edge open concept office design. And that most noticeable design feature, well, it's a more than 12 foot tall two tone rendering of William Penn, the statue that sits high atop Philadelphia's City Hall. And the office, it looks and sounds what you might expect from a tech-centered company. You know, most companies have really great success stories, and we asked Russ about the ones that really stand out for him.
3: Yeah, I mean, it it may sound like a bit of a combat, but I can't think of too many that I don't feel that way about just because, you know, the folks who tend to work with us tend to be the people that, you know, early on they used to joke that we were the A-team. It was like when they didn't know where else to turn and they had a big problem, if they could find us, we could solve the problem, you know, um... So that included, you know, in the early days, the project that really got us launched was doing a a medical information portal for doctors. And that was the first time that we were able to show the world, listen, the things that you think doctors want are not what they want. And all it takes is some objective research with these folks to really pin down who they are. And they don't care about, you know, what you can and can't do because of the way your organization is structured or the way you're regulated. They don't care. They, they are who they are. They're going to get this information one way or another. There are certain things they want from you, certain things they don't. How can we get around all of these constraints and give them what they want? And I think, you know, one of the things that we were most proud of was the first time that we kind of prototyped something out. You know, I'll just put that in front of doctors. And they said, wow. This is the first time that you've actually put something in front of us that is exactly what we've asked for. You're not showing me pictures of people frolicking through the field because they're so happy they're on a drug and it doesn't feel like you're trying to sell me anything. I asked you for something scientific and simple and right to the point, and this is it. And that's that's very much the way that we work. We have a lot of mantras, but one is that there's no I in design. So if, if you're sitting around the table saying, well, I think it should work like X, or I'd like to see, or if it were me, I would... That's fine, but even if you're a member of the target audience, you are an N of 1. So what does that target audience as an objective whole want? What are their jobs to be done? What are their pain points? And then what is an ideal future for them? Let's design that.
1: And the story you shared about the feedback from a physician or a physician's Mm -hmm. group that said, wow, this is exactly what we want. That's got to be really satisfying because design in general is very subjective, and, yeah, absolutely. And what one person hears or thinks is the solution may be totally different from what another person thinks, and especially if that person's the client. So, yeah. so when you come back with something that's spot on, that's got to be really professionally satisfying.
3: Yeah. And that's a, that's exactly how I frame it all the time. I mean, design and development are very subjective undertakings. So you have to have a strong process so that you can be confident that you can deliver what you say you're going to deliver. Uh, and we always have, because we've, we've spent a lot of time honing that model and honing that process. And that doesn't mean that you're going to nail it the first time that you put you know an idea out there but it means that there is a process to work through it and get to it and it's really all driven by research i mean that's that's the key to the kingdom and it's kind of common sense but it's very easy for it to get lost in the shuffle and it's also not easy to do well because there's always bias and ego that creeps into these kinds of things and you have to be really good at keeping that at bay
1: and is there a specific milestone that you look back on and say that that was the trigger, or is it just uh, organic growth of uh, word of mouth and and great work that your team is doing that's attracting not only more clients that require more employees but just this um, trajectory?
3: Yeah, it really has been more of that, and I think that's why in some ways we're a little atypical. I mean we when we go to these things like the Inc 5000 there are people who are super psyched because they've had you know whatever it is 250 percent growth over the last three years and that's that's fine but that's not I don't know that's that's not as meaningful to us what's meaningful to us is that it has happened organically and like we're we're the size that we are and uh, because we've done great work that's really the only reason and you know now of course we have to paint a picture of what the future should look like because we have to make decisions against that um, and we need some kind of barometer and strategy and and, uh, and vision. Um, but in general, it's it's to do more of what we do, which really provides great work, provides great experiences, you know, kind of through the work we do for our clients. You know, it really, it does, even on a small scale, it makes people's lives better, even if it's small groups of people in different pockets. And... Again, I, we've created the kind of company we always wanted to work at. So I feel like even just creating a company that has the core values that we have um, is worthwhile because it's created an amazing workplace for 88 people now. We want to do that for more people. And I think doing something like writing down your core values, publishing them, and then holding yourselves against them or you know, holding yourselves accountable to them and having everybody else hold you accountable to them too because you've published them Um it's pretty, I don't know, I feel like it's a great example for how a company can be run. You know, it's funny, when we first published those core values, I had a couple people kind of say, oh, that's pretty wishy-washy stuff. Why would you do that? Right, Why does that right. matter? And my response was, yeah, number one, it's not wishy-washy. Um, if you put these things out there and publish them, then you're held accountable. And it is 10 times harder to run a company Constantly asking yourselves, is this, is this aligned with the core values? However, it is exponentially more rewarding when you do. So, um, you know, that, that's been important to us. So what a really
1: great, amazing, and inspiring conclusion to our conversation with Russ. And it proves
0: that when you have a vision and you stick to your principles, success is not that far behind. To hear more from Russ about building a business around core values, go right
1: now to 1210wphd.com slash select. Growing Greater Philadelphia is presented by Select Greater Philadelphia, a council of our Chamber of Commerce for Greater Philadelphia. Select is the business attraction organization for Northern Delaware, Southern New Jersey, and Southeastern Pennsylvania. We focus on growing the economic vibrancy of our collective community by attracting new businesses and new jobs to our community. Special thanks to our investors and our partners who believe in our work. And a special thanks to producers Elena Carmazen and Mari Cela Juarez, and our writer Samara Grizel and our researcher Steve Boucher. Learn more at SelectGreaterPHL.com and tune in to our podcast on 1210 wpht.com slash select thanks and join us next week
2: This segment of Growing Greater Philadelphia is brought to you by
3: Green & Spiegel, a proud investor of Select Greater Philadelphia Council. Green & Spiegel is a full-service immigration law firm that specializes in helping businesses grow in the Philadelphia region and nationally through global corporate migration. Learn more about Green & Spiegel at gns-us.com.
2: Liberty Property Trust has been creating environments that help businesses realize their full potential for nearly 50 years. To learn about the Philadelphia Navy Yard or other Liberty Properties, visit libertyproperty.com or call 215-568-4100. This is a citizen's perspective on planning for
3: retirement, also known as the five stages of grief. Presented by me, Tony Goes, Premier Relationship Manager at Citizens Bank. When it comes to helping my clients, like Dave here, plan for retirement, I get this a lot. First comes denial.
2: Not
1: worried. Definitely not worried. I've got plenty of time and money. Then anger. What was I thinking? Why didn't I start saving more years ago? Then fear. What am I going to do now? This is bad, right? Right? Then comes bargaining. Okay, how about this?
3: Here's an idea. What if I start saving more next year? Then finally, acceptance. Maybe we should get started. I can help take the grief out of planning for retirement. Ask me, Tony Goes, how a Citizens Retirement Checkup can help you reach your
0: potential. Citizens Bank is a brand name of Citizens Bank NA and Citizens Bank of Pennsylvania, member of FDIC. Citizens Bank Wealth Management is comprised of both bank and brokerage affiliated companies.
1: Regional product of 420 billion. Greater Philadelphia is in the top three among all metropolitan areas of the Northeastern United States. To learn more about the regional economy, visit selectgreaterphl.com.